Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. I have two guests today that are going to tell you their story, reversing their symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis with a program called the Patterson Program, founded by Clint Patterson, who is one of the two people. The second person is Ellen Mark, who is a member of the program or did the program and had tremendous outcomes as they both did. Clint is coming all the way from Australia. Ellen from near the Santa Rosa area. Please welcome them both to the show. Hi guys, how you doing? Hi, good. <laughs> yeah, doing well, doing well, pumped yeah. up, excited, ready to be uh, able to share information. Yeah, well, we had to do it later. We normally do the show at 11 a.m., but that would not be possible for you because it would be in the middle of your sleeping time. <laughs> 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 correct, correct. Uh, we were in the States only about uh, six, well, five months ago, and we could have done it in regular time. But uh, back here in Australia, we're upside down on the bottom of the world. You guys have the most tremendous accents. I could listen to you guys all day, you and Dr. Greg Fitzgerald and, and the other doctors that I had on, Mackay guy. I love the way you guys sound. <laughs> oh, I'm just actually, I'm just putting it on. I'm just oh. putting it on for a bit of entertainment value. So, so, so what is rheumatoid arthritis? Because a lot of people think it, you know, it, it, there's no way you can improve it without medications. And even with then people suffer tremendously. Well, that's right. And Ellen, uh, we'll sort of take turns, I guess, answering some of these questions. Uh, let me, let me kick off first, if I may. Uh, so rheumatoid arthritis is a disease that uh, tends to degrade the joints over time. It's an autoimmune condition. Uh, the difference between something like osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis is that osteoarthritis is thought of as a degenerative sort of more of an old age wear and tear style of arthritis. Uh, whilst there is an inflammatory component to osteoarthritis, it is not the primary um, you know, view of what that condition is. On the other hand, inflammatory arthritis or autoimmune arthritis or rheumatoid, sciatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, these sort of things, mm -hmm. they're driven by an autoimmune disorder and your body is actively and aggressively mm -hmm. and progressively attacking the synovium, the uh, synovial tissue, including the, the cartilage uh, and you end up having very rapid deterioration of joint quality. And typically rheumatoid arthritis begins in the 50s for most people, but for me, it began uh, in my early 30s. It can start as early as one year old. We have one member of our support platform. Uh, her name is Katie. She's a superstar who's been on my podcast. Ellen, you know her as well. Um, and she got it uh, at a very young age. And that's called juvenile idiopathic arthritis, but it is a essentially a, a young person's version of uh, rheumatoid. And so that's what's going on. And uh, it's, um, it's treated conventionally with medications to alter the immune system so that it stops uh, acting the way that it should and therefore uh, stops making the uh, mistake of seeing your own body as an enemy. Wow. And how is, how is it treated in conventional medicine and how is it treated with the people that do your program? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll continue on my role and then we'll hand to Ellen perhaps. Uh, so 
in fact, our program does not dissuade people from taking the conventional path with their medications. In fact, quite often, and I want to say nine out of 10 times, the medication is necessary in parallel with the dietary and lifestyle changes. And the reason is, is the disease is notoriously so incredibly hard to treat. This is a disease that is, is just extreme in its nature of challenge in terms of dietary reversal. Uh, while something like high blood pressure, you know, within a week, if you go on a low fat plant-based diet, you can normally see some, you know, evidence already that things are improving and that you're on the right track. And there's a good chance that you can, you know, get great outcomes with your high blood pressure just by changing your diet. With rheumatoid, uh, you're going to probably need to, to, to um, engage the assistance of the medications in parallel for a long period of time because everything happens very slowly um, with changes to the microbiome and oxidative stress and um, the things, things are slow. And so we don't want our joints being destroyed whilst we're taking the necessary time to rebuild our health from the inside out. That's not to say that there haven't been countless cases and stories that we have published on my podcast of people coming on just like Ellen and I are coming on your show and talking about their ability to come off their medications in conjunction with their uh, primary care physician or rheumatologist who've overseen that they no longer need the medication to be able to keep their blood markers at an acceptable level and are showing no physical symptoms of the disease. So it is possible but it's not normally the first thing that should be done. It's normally let's, let's change our lifestyle and then we'll see slowly if we still need the medication and we'll continue to monitor that over months and years. So that's, that's how it works with the meds. Right. Pamela who's watching live says in 2014, I reversed RA and lupus in just nine months after switching to a plant-based diet. Are those the kind of success stories you're used to hearing? We love that sort of stuff. Absolutely. Um, and again, let me say that whilst I have a, a back catalog uh, that, that matches those sort of examples, um, we shouldn't mislead the audience and think that it's going to be quick and fast. I think Ellen uh, is a good example of someone who has had the disease for a long period of time, uh, is implementing lots of the recommended lifestyle changes that are founded on scientific evidence because there is a lot of um, sufficient evidence supporting a plant-based diet, which I can go into as much detail as you like on that. Um, and Ellen has improved and continued to improve her situation, um, and, but she still has uh, some medications in the mix which have been reduced. So, um, you know, we might want to shift over to hear from Ellen potentially. Absolutely. No, we want to hear from both of you to, to completely. I just want to read a comment from Bradley who says, I'm in full remission from psoriatic arthritis with no medication using whole food plant-based, no sugar, oil, salt, and with water fasting at True North. Oh. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So Ellen, tell us your story. Well, I've had RA 21 years. I got it when I was about 44 or so, or 43 or 44, and I was so sick. The doctor said I would have died without help. I was just really, I couldn't raise my arms over my head. I mean, I couldn't put my arms backwards. I was in a lot of pain. And so I was put on prednisone and I was put on, you know, shots of methotrexate and 
basically, you know, just told, well, you know, just, you know, keep going, keep trying to get better. I had anemia and so I was really sick. And so for 10 years, I suffered with this disease. And at the 10 year mark, I started getting worse and kind of going downhill. And even though I was taking the drugs and doing everything I, I thought, you know, I was on the standard American diet. I didn't like meat that much or anything, but it wasn't enough to stop the progression of my disease. So um, I, you know, picked up high blood pressure and I, um, I couldn't, I didn't like being on the drugs. I, I really felt awful on those. And I was 56 at that time. And I just, so it's, you know, it's like a progressive kind of a thing. I, I now cannot, my elbows are bent pretty much forever. It happened in 2009. And I, I have a hand that's kind of deformed and that happened in at about the 10 year mark. I mean, and so I was looking for something to help me. So, um, the first thing that happened was I saw Dr. Bernard, Neil Bernard, giving a talk on uh, reversing diabetes. And that got me started. That was the beginning of my, to me, getting well. And I followed his program. And then I continued, then I continued along and still, you know, was on the blood pressure medicines. And then I did the McDougall uh, 10-day program in 2013. And I, um, Dr. McDougall took me off the blood pressure medications and um, I still, you know, was not, you know, I was, I was doing a little better, but I, you know, I was hopeful. The, the big thing about it is I was so hopeful from Dr. McDougall and Dr. Bernard. I was getting, and I, Dr. Esselstein, I read his books and I read T. Colin Campbell's book. And I, you know, I was, I was start, I was feeling in my mind, like I could, get better. So, and then I finally found you, Chef AJ. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think we met at True North somehow. I got introduced by a friend or something. And um, also we, so I started your program, which, and to this day, it was like February, 2015. I have eaten those two pounds of vegetables every single day, those non-starchy veggies. I have never not done that. And I eat the eight ounces of greens. I weigh eight ounces of greens a night. And I have been perfectly never gone off your program, except for maybe a couple of mistakes where I ate some jam that had sugar in it <laughs> by mistake. And didn't, I didn't read the label. And so, and then I was, but I still, and also back up 2013, November, I, Dr. Clapper became my, my GP. So I had him in my, in my, on, in my corner and that was wonderful. My blood pressure stabilized with him. He took me off the blood pressure medicines because my GP had put me back on him after Dr. McDougall. <laughs> so I, you know, I was still having problems. And so I, I was still searching even when I, even being on your program, Chef AJ, it was not quite enough. I, tr I was trying really hard, but by a miracle, I found Clint Patterson online. I don't know. I was just like trolling the internet, just hoping there was something out there. And so I, I immediately started Clint Patterson's program and started his two-day fast and on his celery cucumber juice and then started his quinoa and his, his vegetables. And I started to get better a little bit. And I, and then he, he wanted me to do Bikram yoga and he kept nagging me 
a lot to try to get me to jump. <laughs> and so I finally did that. And, and then on the seventh class at Bikram Yoga, my knees swelling went down a little bit for a couple of hours. And so it was the beginning of you, you, Clint, you and Clint, Chef AJ, have just been my saviors, you know, really. I mean, you've saved my life, really. Wow, thank you. That's such mm. a, so wonderful. Oh, so what, what is your program? Are you allowed to tell us the secret sauce, Clint? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> There's nothing, uh, nothing that I haven't already shared publicly. And um, we have a mailing list as well that people can join and uh, the information that they need is all in the mailing list. But um, look, what the program is, is we address uh, the gut bacteria. So if you'd like, I can take a step back and say, first of all, what causes the disease in the first place? And therefore, why does the program look like it does? Would that be helpful? Or I can just go straight into? Yeah, I'd love to know more. Okay. Okay. So this might mean I take up a little bit of time, but let's let's give it the the uh, the, the little bit of science background here. So uh, for me, when I give talks on this uh, in these sort of settings, I I created an acronym for myself, which is actually uh, handy for people to remember as well. And the acronym is blame, as in what is the cause of the underlying problem and and blame has two A's in this particular case. So um, B stands for bacteria. So uh, and, and everything I'm about to say over the next few minutes, all is uh, referenced in the science. So I've got a guide for rheumatologists that people hand out to their rheumatologist when they see them and say, this is what I'm doing and this is why, and here's the evidence. So if people go to pattersonprogram.com forward slash guide, then they can download this guide for rheumatologists. And it's it's got hundreds of scientifically uh, referenced uh, journal papers here. So what happens is uh, when people are both newly diagnosed and established with rheumatoid arthritis, they have low levels of healthy bacteria, uh, common strains like bifidobacteria in particular are low, and they have um, higher levels of certain pathogenic bacteria. And um, <coughs> corresponding with that, they have less diversity than someone without the disease. And these this bacteria imbalance is considered to be really the sort of the starting point of the autoimmune disorder. This bacteria imbalance can lead to uh, particles ending up into the, the bloodstream of folks with RA and whole bacteria have been identified in the joints of patients with rheumatoid arthritis. And also the presence of bacteria in the gut and the lipopolysaccharides that sort of trigger an autoimmune response all tends to unsettle the immune system. So it goes into a bit of a haywire situation. I mentioned the bacteria getting into the bloodstream, lodging into joints. This happens through a mechanic mechanism that we're probably familiar with. People who watch you and learn about your program, Chef AJ, would be familiar with the concept of leaky gut and the concept of intestinal permeability. So that's very, very prevalent in rheumatoid arthritis. And in fact, uh, Ellen mentioned Dr. Michael Clapper earlier, one of the most prestigious and highly regarded plant-based doctors on earth. Uh, he says that he no longer even tests people with RA if they have leaky gut like he used to, because it's a given almost by default. If you have the disease, it's now well understood that you therefore have leaky gut. They go hand in hand. The science is clear on this. And so we have this stuff leaking into our, into our bloodstream. Now, with when, this, when these bacterial 
uh, particles enter our bloodstream, the, the, the proteins that are associated with these bacterial uh, compounds or molecules or whatever you want to call them, the, the proteins can look like some of the proteins in our own body. And so the body can undergo a state of molecular mimicry where it starts to become overwhelmed with trying to eliminate these uh, protein structures in the bacteria and can there cross-react and, and start to degrade our joints. So that takes care of bacteria and leaky gut. The A's, the A's in blame, the acronym, we have a state of low stomach acid. So acid in the gut is, is low for people with rheumatoid arthritis typically and our stomach acid helps to break down proteins. So if we are uh, wanting to uh, keep, uh, break down proteins in our, in our uh, body, uh, effectively with a low stomach acid, it becomes very difficult. And this leads to more undigested proteins in our blood, which can also, sorry, in our digestive system, which can also end up in our blood and further irritating the immune system. And then we have a, a state also of metabolic acidosis. And acidosis just comes from eating a Western-style diet um, without enough exercise and just building up too much acidity uh, in our non-blood fluids inside our body. And then a mucosal lining, which is uh, lines the inside of particularly our colon and acts as an absorption location and also the home of most of our healthy bacteria. This can get depleted with a poor diet, lots of stress and so forth. And so that location becomes depleted. So we don't absorb our minerals in particular as much. And the science tells us that people with RA are malnourished, especially with the important minerals like potassium, magnesium, and so forth. And finally, and this is this last portion is, is a little bit less easy to support with the literature but a concept around enzymes so e for enzymes and the ability of our body to break down foods and when we're eating a lot of foods that don't uh, that are cooked and depleted of enzymes which are like little scissors to help break down foods uh, then we're really really burdening our body's ability to to properly break down into the small constituents all the um, important uh, usable components of our food and therefore uh, you know, just again, becoming malnourished and just not using our food effectively. So with all that going on, how do we treat all that if we've got these, this multiple stuff going on? Well, um, what the program that I put together is, is an outcome of my trial and error over many years, uh, going through my own, uh, you know, guinea pig experiments um, in dire straits when I was in an extremely inflamed situation, could barely walk, uh, inflammatory markers, C-reactive protein in the high 50s. Um, and I, uh, I trialed an error for many years and, and eventually like Ellen took great encouragement from Dr. McDougall's work. Uh, he's definitely been one of my, my, my mentors, um, someone who I look to with the most highest possible regard and have constantly personally uh, thanked him uh, publicly. And also when I met him personally, uh, almost cried with gratitude when I met him. Um, and also uh, a gastroenterologist called Dr. Hiromi Shinya, uh, based out of New York, originally Japan. Uh, and 
his work around just basically having the ideal colon. So his, his whole philosophy in life is have an ideal colon and you'll have an ideal life. And so I read a couple of his books, uh, The Enzyme Factor and The Microbe Factor. And it was he that really was the founding, uh, founding ingredients to what is now the program that so many people have followed under uh, you know, the Patterson program name. And he wrote in his book that he eats the same thing virtually at every meal, every day, and has done for decades. And that meal is a mixture of amaranth, buckwheat, quinoa, and brown rice. Now, um, I, I reduced that over the years into just a buckwheat and quinoa combination because I found that the flavors worked better, the convenience, the cooking times in the rice cooker and all this um, brown rice taking longer and amaranth being an annoying little pseudo grain that gets in the cracks of your grout on the bench tops and stuff. So it got wheedled down. So, um, so buckwheat and quinoa is one of the foundational foods of the program in parallel to your favorite food, which is sweet potatoes. So we've got sweet potatoes, we've got buckwheat and quinoa, and then some things that really, really are, are helpful specifically to restore uh, gut bacterial balance, which are things like some, uh, some small, uh, small amounts of garlic and onion. Um, and, uh, and I like to include um, undersea sea vegetables or, or seaweed, uh, a couple of strains of those. And then the big, big push for the first 12 days is leafy greens. So we want to basically <clears throat> overload our system with leafy greens. We're talking any leafy green that, that you prefer. Mine in particular that I prefer is, is baby spinach. That's the one that I like. And so I tend to eat the most of that. But any cos lettuce, romaine lettuce, bok choy, pak choy, any of these things, kale, of course, let's get that into us as much as we possibly can. It's the favorite food for healthy gut bacteria. It's extremely alkaline. It, create, it has nearly all the vitamins and minerals that the body needs. It has a little bit of omega-3 fatty acid and no omega-6 so we can work on our fatty acid balance. I mean, you really cannot get enough of these leafy greens into the body. And so after a two day celery and cucumber juice, we then just do, do the foods that I just mentioned for the next 10 days and let everything settle down. All that inflammation that's been just accumulating and circulating tends to settle tremendously. And then once we've done that, then from day 13 onwards, we start adding foods in a specific sequence and test them ourselves for our body and find out how we do with apples and papaya and how we do with Brussels sprouts, because this is where everyone is different. And we have to go on our own individualized journey and discovery and, and work out what is our diet actually gonna look like for the next few months and then um, continue to build upon that and so the first emphasis after the 12 days is to try and get more fruits into the diet especially i love papaya 
it, it, it's, it's enzyme that I mentioned before. Papain is so powerful at breaking down proteins and it's very high in potassium. And whilst I could talk all day about the nuances and stuff, potassium specifically is a mineral that's so needed when you are in a highly inflamed state with RA. And so I love any food that is high in potassium. And it's also one of the very few supplements that I recommend as well. And this is also supported by the medical literature. Potassium supplementation is linked positively to RA outcome. So that's what we do. We, we do that. We do a two-day cleanse. We do 10 days of very simple foods over and over again. We get all that inflammation down and then we start adding foods back into the diet, looking to get as many fruits as we can, especially uh, I mentioned papaya. Another one is cantaloupe. We just love the cantaloupe. Let's get that's high in potassium as well. So let's just get these water rich, nutrient rich, mineral rich foods into our body and, uh, and just build out our diet. And that's the diet side of things. And there's, there's other things we, we can do as well, but that fundamentally is the dietary side of the program. Well, it doesn't sound very different than what I eat just because it's delicious. So I don't, you know, it's just food as far as I'm concerned. Correct. Correct. And you, and as you would have experienced so often yourself, when you start eating these, these foods, you, your taste buds adjust via your gut and brain axis and everything. And, and it becomes enjoyable. And especially, you know, I like putting a little bit of miso paste as well for flavor into the meal and turn it into a, a wet soupy sort of meal. That's how I like to eat that. Bradley says what the leafy greens you recommend, are they raw or are they steamed? So it depends on your ability to digest them. And if you get bloating and you're new to eating lots of leafy greens and you bloat, then I've found a lot of people can uh, sidestep that issue by steaming them. And steaming them, well, it breaks down the fibrous structure. So it's your body has one less thing to do in the digestive sequence. Um, is it as good to steam as eating them raw? Well, that's open to debate. Personally, I like to always go with the raw option unless I'm having a nice tasty breakfast of say some beans and a piece of toast and some steamed spinach as kind of, you know, a breakfast treat from time to time. However, generally I advise people to try and go raw as much as they possibly can with their leafy greens and only cook them if they're finding that they have trouble breaking down that raw plant fiber. Some people say, well, well, I suggest sometimes a, a, uh, a digestive enzyme to assist with that raw plant food if they want to keep trying the raw, but to keep it simple, just steaming it is, is fine. And then try it raw a little bit later on. Great. So what is wrong with what most people include in their diet, animal products and processed food in general, and for people with autoimmune conditions or rheumatoid arthritis in particular? Okay, well, I've got like 14 barrels loaded at that, but uh, I know that Ellen hasn't spoken for a while. Do, Ellen, did you want to comment or did you want me to continue? Uh, yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd be happy to comment. Yeah, please. Uh, from my own experience, I was that person for 10 years with RA that ate the animal foods and it didn't work. I, with that and, and my medicine, I got, you know, elbows that were, that aren't straight anymore. I've got a hand that's deformed. I've got 
you know, I still, the medicine didn't stop the disease progression. It maybe slowed it down, but it, it didn't stop it completely. And plus my blood pressure was certainly not under control with eating those kind of foods. I mean, they just kind of, they go after your arteries with a vengeance, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, and plus the, the side of it, of what, you know, is happening to the poor animals before they get put on somebody's plate is another thing. That's another, I, that's when I started looking at that more closely, I was horrified that I'd been eating that for, you know, as long as I did. I, luckily I didn't eat, I didn't, well, you know, I'm guilty. What, what can I say? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you and me both, Ellen. I when, was you know when you know better, you do better, right? Yeah, I didn't mm. know any better. Then. Well, let, let me read some of these comments before they go away too much, uh, too much, too much, too fast. Can't speak today. Ginny says, Clint Patterson's program is the best for rheumatoid arthritis. My mother tried it in one month. She did not need her five daily painkillers. That's excellent. Uh, Barbara says, I have joint pain and skin issues, but my labs don't show levels for diagnosis. Doctor just keeps me, keeps giving me steroid thinking this might be good for me. Okay. If I may on that one. Um, so there's two things there that I'm hearing. One is not sure of her own diagnosis um, or the doctors aren't clear on it. And number two, I'm hearing, but she is in pain. Okay. So addressing the first one uh, or addressing them, them together. So when someone says, look, I don't know what my diagnosis is, but I'm in pain, should I, in, should I intervene with some dietary changes, some lifestyle changes? And I say, look, if you're out running around and someone shot you with an arrow, you wouldn't look at it and think, I wonder what sort of arrow that is. What you would do is you'd pull the thing out as quick as possible. So when you have an inflammatory condition and you're in pain, you don't want to sit around and watch the house burn down. You want to put that house that's on fire out as quickly as possible. And so I would encourage uh, th this person to immediately do the sort of things that I was explaining a little bit earlier. Let's cut out all of the processed and uh, high fat foods, the animal products, the oils, um, the refined sugars, and let's get you onto a low fat whole foods plant-based diet as quick as possible. And you can continue to explore with the, with the medical professionals what the diagnosis might be in parallel. Um, but you might actually find the pleasant experience that the pressure is not as great. You're not as anxious about trying to determine what it is because the thing that you're going to learn that you have may not feel as aggressive, as worrying, and as, as all-consuming once you make these positive changes. That's terrific. Um, Michelle says, isn't leaky gut associated with gluten intolerance? Are they one and the same? And what causes leaky gut? Again, want me to proceed, Ellen? Of course. Oh, you guys can decide who talks. Well, I, th I think that the, if I might say a few words, Dr. McDougall used to always cite that example of the, the body seeing the, when you drink dairy or eat that stuff, then the body sees that protein and, and just totally doesn't get it that that's, you know, it just thinks that's the, you know, part of the body. And so they attack it, they attack it with, because they think it's just not, it's um, part of the body instead of not being part of the body. Mm. 
So what I think of when I think uh, gluten and leaky gut uh, is that we have, there are evidence that suggests that gluten can irritate leaky gut. And so you'll notice that the Patterson program does not include gluten in those first 12 days. That's a deliberate choice, nor does it include nightshade vegetables. Whereas on, on the flip side with that, there is no evidence to associate nightshade vegetables with any forms of arthritis at all in the literature. However, we don't want those things on our mind when we are going through the healing uh, sort of endeavor on this scale. But with gluten, there's evidence. And so um, it's a no-brainer to leave out gluten and to, to test a plant-based diet, low-fat, without gluten for a period of time, which is my recommendations. I think of gluten as a, a metaphor in which you're at the gym, you're doing bench press, you're lifting some light weights. But when it comes to gluten, that's putting an extra couple of plates on each side of the bar. And you're now going to test how strong your digestion is at being able to digest a fairly complex protein structure. If you're able to lift that weight under the bar, then great, it's fine. This, this uh, gluten is not therefore going to cause a problem in your life whilst your lifestyle is good and your foods are good. But for a lot of weak digestive systems, the gluten is just too hard to break down. It's like not being able to lift the heavy weight. So just take that weight off the bar. Don't eat it for the moment. Don't lift that weight right now and try it again in six, 12 months and see how you go. Great. Let's see. Um, Cheryl says, I was told that Stills disease is a form of rheumatoid arthritis. I have suffered from Stills for four years. Are you familiar with Stills disease and would your program work for me? I'm not. Um, whilst I have crossed a lot of uh, different conditions off the list, um, I cannot recall whether or not we've had anyone report back to us who've done the program and said, hey, I did it for Stills disease and I've got great results to share. So I cannot say that I've got a case study to say, uh, yes, go for it. However, um, you know, common sense would prevail and say, Look, we know with things like type 1 diabetes, Crohn's disease, ankylosing spondylitis, rheumatoid arthritis, sciatic arthritis, um, almost, you know, you name it, lupus, we know that we're, we've got an underlying bacterial imbalance. So if we've got an approach that we know by going low-fat, plant-based, whole foods, we know that improves the microbiome. And so common sense would prevail to say, well, it's likely with stills, there's a microbiome imbalance. Let's do something that will improve the microbiome. Nice. And Auntie M says, I have psoriatic arthritis. Will this help me? I've been whole food plant-based SOS free since June, but I'm still taking $5,000 a month shot called Cosentix. Insurance is covering one more dose. Oh my gosh. Well, sounds like that's a one of the multiple different brands of biologic drugs. And Chef AJ, you can get a feeling here of how expensive the medication treatments are for these inflammatory arthritis conditions. In fact, Humira, which is one of the most famous biologic drugs, uh, if we go back, I think the last time I looked at the data was uh, maybe six, seven years ago, um, it was doing in one year a gross revenue of eight 
times the entire box office that Avatar has taken since its release in history. And it was grossing eight times per year that amount of money. So we're talking about, uh, you know, really, really, really uh, high income pharmaceutical medications here that cost the users and taxpayers and, you know, the whole thing's big numbers. So this medication is going to be withdrawn next month because the insurance company doesn't want to look after her anymore, which is, which is worry, worrisome. So when that drug starts to leave the body, there is, there's a tail with these biologics and it takes a little bit of time for that biologic drug to get out of the system. Um, and, and during that period where the, where the drug is leaving the body, it's very, very difficult to then know whether or not, um, you know, a new change of lifestyle is helping or not because you know, you've got something that's very significantly impacting the immune system, uh, leaving the body, and then positive changes that are very natural, slow and gentle and subtle uh, entering the body. And so there's going to be an uncertain period as to whether or not the program is helping you over the coming month or two, whilst you're coming off that drug if you can't afford the cost, which I imagine you couldn't. However, let me tell you this with great certainty and hand on my heart is that in my view, based on the evidence that I see about the microbiome and all the people that I've helped over the past seven or eight years, sciatic arthritis to me is, appears to me as virtually the same disease as rheumatoid arthritis. The yeah. only difference is some, you know, few little technicalities with the rheumatologist and his diagnosis approach. I've heard people with seriatic arthritis later be diagnosed with rheumatoid, and I've heard people have rheumatoid then later get changed on their paperwork to having seriatic. And with that in mind, you should expect the same kind of positive outcomes as what people with rheumatoid experience with whom all of the information that I've put together has been prepared. That's great. Ginny says, please tell Clint that I did a Spanish version for my mom. I would love to send it to him to help others. Okay, Thank you. let's see. Please I do. Uh, Bradley says, the diet sounds almost like it's vegan and macrobiotic in nature. Are there any other macrobiotic way of eating principles that you might recommend only beyond eating whole food plant-based? I've got some tips, but see if Ellen has some tips around the way that she eats. Uh, she makes some delicious meals, especially the evening one. Uh, she might oh, want to talk. Yeah, I eat really simply. You know, I, I, I eat those. Well, I, and also I steam all my vegetables pretty much. I mean, Dr. Goldhammer said I had to eat some raw, so I eat eight ounces a day of that. But um, I've always... I had to ask Clint, are you okay with me steaming my, you know, my vegetables? Cause chef AJ wants me to eat these two pounds. Of <laughs> so, you know, he said, yes. So I've done that the whole time. So I eat really simply. I have quinoa and vegetables and I, you know, for lunch and I have fruit and then I have, so, and then at night I have mashed potatoes and greens. And I also have sweet potato fries and I pretty much eat that every single day. I eat about five fruits. I love watermelon and I just, I thrive on these foods. And then I sometimes make Chef AJ's muffins, her pumpkin raisin muffins from her new book are 
pretty fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And um, all everybody loved them. And so, I mean, I do that sometimes. And because it took me three and a half years before I could eat oats. I had to, you know, so I just wanted to say it's so important that I've been able to do Clint's program because I've gotten farther than I've ever gotten before on doing on anybody's you know program and that I've you know I'm still on my medication I, I cut it more than half I got off one medication so I mean it it really works and it's like um and Dr. Soler helped me with my blood pressure and he's watching right now so hi Dr. Soler <laughs> and um I had to give up salt. I'm one of these people that's salt sensitive. And so he said, I, you know, my blood pressure went up again in 2018. And so I had to like remove all the salt. And so that's what I, you know, except for what's in the, in my, in my food and already there. And then I'm fine now, but I mean, I mean, it's this whole program of Clint's is a total, you know, helping the body get well. I will never give up on getting well ever that's my dream and so you guys are helping me get there <laughs> that's great ellen and um uh i'd just like to add one more tip over and above that uh for that question one one little nuance that i have and i don't press this hard upon other people but it's something i do personally with great effect is i like to eat fruit before my meal and i find that my digestion is just seamless, even better than if I didn't eat the fruit before the meal. So I might just have a handful of grapes, or it might be a couple of big chunks of cantaloupe, or it might be a quarter or even a half of papaya. And I'll knock that over as you would an entree at a, at a, as you would an entree at a, a um, restaurant. And so I'll finish my fruit just while I'm sort of setting the table or getting the kids into their high chair or whatever it might be. Um, and then um, sit down and, and eat with everyone else. And that little habit um, I have justified to myself as being helpful because I, I again, come back to this concept of, of weakened digestion overall and the benefits of, of digestive enzymes and the, the, the enzymes in the fruits and the antioxidants of those fruits both can attribute to improved digestion as they pass as they pass through almost as a primer to the main meal. And so you've got the, uh, there's a study that shows that the, the presence of antioxidants um, with, a, with a, uh, a meal that does not have a lot of, of antioxidants overall helps the meal with low antioxidant level. I don't know, I don't recall how they worked that out, but they claim that they, that's the outcome. And and also, I believe the same thing applies with the enzymes. If we've got a papaya moving through our, our, the top of our small intestine, followed by some foods that have high protein, I believe that the sequence is a very good one. Yeah. You know, uh, in addition to being quite expensive, these biologics like methyltrexate, what are the side effects of being on them long-term or even short-term? Ellen. Well, being on um, methotrexate, you get, when I first started it with shots, I had terrible fatigue. It was so severe that I had to lie down at work for, I think I was off work 10 months and then I had to lie down at work for 10 minutes, you know, during my break. 
I work for Superior Courts. You could just imagine I had a futon down there and I was like lying there. <laughs> I mean, I just couldn't go on, you know? I mean, that's the biggest side effect for me. And the other one is sometimes headaches if you don't take folic acid, you have to take folic acid with it. And just overall feeling crummy, you know? And then yeah. just being on this drug for so long, you just, and I'm still on it, but I'm, I'm, it's not really, I'm on a lower, much lower dose. I'm like, um, what am I on? Like 8.75 a week. Instead of 20, I started off with 20 milligrams a week. Ellen, talk about black whale. proof that, that both your programs work really well. Ellen was on another drug and, uh, yeah. you know, as we, yeah. yeah, she was on another couple of drugs. Look, biologics are the most expensive, yes. Um, and something like methotrexate that both Ellen and I, I was taking that for nearly four years as well, made me very fatigued. It's a cheap drug. There's not really a cost problem with methotrexate. But these other biologic drugs, uh, yes, the side effects associated with those vary from person to person. Some people, like we mentioned Katie before she was one of the first users of Enbrel back gosh I want to say about 15 years ago she started taking that she's been off it completely now for two years and she did very well in terms of low side effects from Enbrel um, so 12 years on a single drug uh, of that nature is is a very very good run um, and then you know there's so many of them and it depends on the specific nature of someone's uh, circumstances as to how they get administered or recommended from the rheumatologist. A lot of it comes down to childbearing use. If, if, if a woman is hoping to fall pregnant, then there are drugs to match the symptoms and circumstances. And we hope that by taking these drugs, we get all the benefit and no side effect. But uh, the general side effect, if I'm to sort of really, really oversimplify, the general side effect is that with a, your immune system, it leaves you vulnerable to developing uh, susceptibility to viruses. And so you just pick stuff up more than what someone else might. And in a COVID time, that is something that's been of a very big concern for people on the immunosuppressant drugs. Oh. I have a comment. Oh, it moved already. Well, uh, Lily says, Ellen, how are your hands? She wants to know. Um, left hand is, is pretty normal, but the right hand has like a hump, like right here. And so um, I, I can do um, my Bikram yoga and I can do, I'm now doing hot Pilates since the, um, even though it's not hot at home, but I do, <laughs> but I do that five times a week. And I can actually, with blocks, I can do burpees and I can do um, planks on my forearms. And so the hand, you know, I, can't, I don't write very well with, this, with the right hand, but, um, and it used, to, it used to swell up on the, it used to swell up on that hand. I get like a swelling, but I've been doing really, I've been doing really well at, since being five years, over five years on both your programs. I'm just, I, I have other things that happen to me that aren't so great, but I just get through them. I know that I'm going to be okay. And, you know, not, they're not related to RA <laughs> mishaps sometimes. So Barbara says, I have joint pain and skin issues. My labs don't show levels for diagnosis. Doc just keeps giving me steroids thinking this might be good for me. 
Oh, yes. Can I comment on steroids? And this might oh. be the most important thing we've said yet, is that the steroid treatments are actually one of the biggest contributors to the leaky gut phenomenon that we mentioned before. And so when you're taking a drug to reduce inflammation that actually causes the underlying cause to be exacerbated, it's a bad situation to, to be in. It's a very bad, vicious cycle. So I'd say that that's like trying to win the fight with two hands tied behind your back. So um, even if you never changed your diet, um, it's better to seek a different medical approach than just taking steroids long-term. Um, the gastroenterologist, Dr. Alan Desmond from the UK, who your listeners might know, Chef AJ, uh, he says that within the gastroenterology community, uh, they never prescribe prednisone or prednisolone for more than six weeks because of the known damage that it does to the intestinal tract. And given that that's what we're trying to heal with rheumatoid, steroids are something that need to be very, very seriously reconsidered. And I would suggest talking to the rheumatologist about something that's suitable for long-term as opposed to taking a strong painkiller that's got side effects for months upon months upon months. That's great. Here is a question from... Oh, sorry, it moves. Uh, TS says, not sure if this was discussed. Do you include osteoarthritis of multiple joints with this protocol or only rheumatoid arthritis? So unfortunately with rheumatoid, you get osteo for free because if you've had it long enough, your joints are going to show signs of damage and uh, cartilage destruction. Therefore, um, you know, everyone with rheumatoid knows the experience of living with osteoarthritis. There is a component to osteoarthritis that is inflammatory. And one of the studies that I show when I give live presentations is how only after, a, I think, a 30-day period, just shifting to a plant-based diet, not even an elimination process with specific anti-inflammatory foods like we've discussed, just shifting to a plant-based diet, whole foods, not even low fat, just, just plant-based foods, uh, reduces the self-reported amount of discomfort for people with osteoarthritis. And so that's a fabulous kind of reassuring sort of study to say, look, just do a basic version and you're still going to feel better. You don't need to go to the extent that we've discussed here all find that that's perfectly normal if someone's coming from a western diet and they have osteoarthritis just go plant-based cut out the oils make it whole foods and you're going to feel better just doing that so start there why is low fat so helpful because i that's I'm, i don't have those diseases but i find that that's the best diet at least for me yeah this is a subtlety that always is the one that uh becomes a little bit of a uh a, a source of um of uh, what's the right word, a source of uh, second questioning from people who are following the plan after a period of time, because they want to eat some uh, foods that are higher in fat and they try to, and the answer is their symptoms simply tick back up again. And we think, well, why is this? So it isn't actually super clear as to why this is. And so I've got some weaker style evidence around this um, and also some that I believe applies through 
secondary mechanisms that unfortunately are a little bit more complicated to explain. So the first more basic stuff is that I believe that the higher fat foods uh, cause a little more intestinal permeability than what low fat foods or let's call them like carbohydrate style foods or fruits do. So the body has a high degree of intestinal permeability. So that is one of them. Num, num, now, these other two are more subtle. Now, Dr. McDougall explains in one of his videos uh, that goes back about 20 years that one of the concepts around eating high-fat foods is the fat actually ends up in the bloodstream making the blood flow a little bit more challenging, thus increasing your blood pressure. If your pump has to push harder because the blood is just a little bit higher in fat, then it's harder to push around the body. And I've put those in very colloquial terms. Um, and so if we are thinking of problems with the joints as having a difficult uh, oxygen delivery system, then having um, more of a sluggish blood flow, particularly through the capillaries, then we are not getting that oxygen to the blood to be able to alleviate the consequences of the long-term inflammation. And let me just now close out the question by explaining that. There's another mechanism at play behind the microbiome as to why the joints are being destroyed. In the process of trying to eliminate these perceived invaders at the joint physical location, the body creates what's called oxidative stress. It destroys those invading molecules by stealing electrons from them. But in doing, and that what that does is break down their molecular structure and their effectiveness. What this does though, is at the same time, the body is stealing electrons from neighboring real quality tissues and therefore slightly destroying them day by day. The answer to try and alleviate this activity is just blood flow and oxygen to that area. And we get that through exercise um, quality breathing, better breathing, better posture. And if we have a, you know, more of a, a sluggish blood flow or a challenging blood flow through the joints, then that oxygen just cannot get in there and help to alleviate that swelling and that inflammation consequence that's coming from the body's self-attack. So I hope that makes sense. And the, 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 the simple answer, which should suffice, is the first part of that answer, which is, um, I haven't checked the studies for a long time, but I believe that the fat causes more intestinal permeability. Interesting. Do you do any seeds at all? So I used to do tons of seeds and tons of nuts. And I go through cycles and depending on just generally how my well-being is, I dial them up or back. I love eating nuts and the kids are great fans of shelling pistachio nuts. And it's a sort of a family thing we do together. Um, but um, I've, I'm in the stage at just at the moment, as we just have to today's chat where I'll just have a handful. Whereas in the past I'd be eating yeah, tons of them, but I'm not eating as much at the moment. Yeah. Well, I mean, cause uh, let, let's see. Um, uh, Shirley says flax seeds, do they help heal? They're full of oil. Yeah. Now, we, we've got a good friend of ours, Chef AJ, called Dr. Brooke Goldner. And she likes to put a lot of flax and a lot of chia into a smoothie protocol. So it's all smoothies, flax, and chia. 
Now, what I prefer to do based on the results that I see is to keep the smoothies separate when without the flax and chia. If people can eat the flax and chia, I like to say, okay, have a little on the side, put a little on your oatmeal or something. And, and that can be your, you know, uh, attempt to balance your omega-3 profile. My preference, however, is to make that wait quite a while, not to start out eating the flax and the chia, but to test them in after several months, because whilst they have a great omega-3 and 6 ratio, it is still more fat content for the body. And anecdotally, over multiple years and thousands of people that I've communicated with, low fat, even low fat of the chia and flax tends to give less inflammation rather than chasing a, let's go for the maximum amount of omega-3 in our body that we can. Now, that's what I just see for rheumatoid arthritis and that's why that's the path that i prefer to suggest um, and we get our omega-3-6 balance by eating tons of leafy greens and keeping sixes completely out of the picture yeah. so we get our ratio perfect that way you know i haven't had any overt fats for like 10 years no nuts no seeds no avocado so my doctor is very careful to check my fatty acid profile every year and it just keeps going up because, yeah. because i don't eat anything that gives me omega-6 and I need so many greens, you know, pounds of greens a day. Well, you and I are the same. I don't mean the same with my omega. I haven't checked my omega-6 fatty acids, but our approach is the same. Let's go crazy with the leafy greens and keep the sixes to, you know, a really low, low uh, level. And then you can't, can't go wrong. Um, I've seen the fatty acid profiles of our, again, our community friends, uh, Robbie and Cyrus from Mastering Diabetes, they both shared their results of their fatty acid profiles, their approach, again, same what we've talked about. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's fan like he said to Robbie, in fact, it's the best omega-6. Yeah, omega his is even better than mine. He doesn't eat any cooked food at all. And he, he's, uh, we, we had ours checked by the same doctor, Dr. Rick wow. Dina. Yes, Dina, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so that's it. You don't need to go high in fat of any kind to have a fantastic fatty acid profile. That's true. And it's much better for weight loss. That's what mm -hmm. I've been finding with thousands of people that I've worked with. Jan says, are there any fruits that you recommend people avoid? Well, the obvious, the, the, we're talking about eliminating all animal products and oil and processed foods. So we're talking, I mean, we're all on the same page here, Chef JJ, Ellen and I, we're saying, look, no oils, oils in fact if i were to give a hierarchy of avoidance cooked vegetable oils are number one even above the emotional passion that we have to say don't eat animal products i have a social responsibility to scream even louder and say do not consume french fries uh, potato chips which have been fried in oil do not consume oily vegetable burgers from the restaurant you must not eat these if you have inflammatory arthritis and once we have that clear then then we say okay now don't eat your dairy products which are probably number two um you know cheese on your pizzas and stuff like that it's gonna send you, i mean i the day after we got engaged my wife and i i proposed to her uh, in the Blue Mountains here in Sydney. And then we went out that night and as a treat, because we never were eating this, we had a big pizza and shared a pizza. And the next day I could barely walk again and we just got engaged. And it was like, my God, this thing, is this gonna be with us for our whole life? So 
we've got the, the, the dairy products. Um, and then down from there, you've got your, uh, your, your meats. So um, look, I think if you, if you adhere to those three principles, then if we're talking now, you know, the average person and not like hardcore, um, if they were to eat a little bit of processed foods here and there that aren't in those categories, they're probably not going to see their symptoms spike from one cheat, one off meal. Having a soda, not going to end their world if they did that once every now and then, like on a rare occasion. Having a, 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 um, a no oil um, baked cracker, that's not going to end their world either. But if you go and have a cheesy pizza or if you go and have some French fries at a restaurant, you're going to know about it the next day. Yeah. Like Dr. Claffer says, your body's never not looking. <laughs> Laurel wants to know if this program would work for somebody who has Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism. I can say only through case studies because I haven't had a scientific trial done on the program. Um, but, you know, what we've seen is that some people have been able to lower their uh, thyroxine or their thyroid med thyroid medications. Their, um, is it the TH1, I believe, has been improved in the right direction. So will it enable someone to eliminate that? Look, I don't make those kind of claims. Are they likely to, if they're coming at it from a, um, you know, a Western diet, then most definitely it's a smart step. It's a smart way to go to try and, you know, lower your thyroid dependent dependency and uh, have better overall health. Because I will say this, and this is actually more important than, than the first part of that answer. Three categories are the most common in the backstories of people who talk about what happened before they got rheumatoid. Number one, uh, use of antibiotics for long periods of time in their teenage years for acne or coming up to a surgery or post-surgery antibiotic use. Number two, after childbirth, where you've got a precipitous change in the hormone levels of females. So that is number two. And number three, having a predisposition of hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's. Those three things come up the most as being pre-existing situations before developing rheumatoid. And I can tell you this, that those people who have Hashimoto's and rheumatoid wish to God that it was only the Hashimoto's. And whilst that is not a, that's not a walk in the park, rheumatoid arthritis is like walking in the park and being attacked by 50 trolls under the bridge who drag you under and keep you there. Oh my, <laughs> what a way of putting it. Joyce says, can rheumatoid arthritis be reversed if it's in the advanced stages? My mom has had it for 30 years. Ellen, you ha you've had it for a long time and you're in the process of aiming for that goal, aren't you? I say yes. I say I'm, I'm nearing that point. I'm going to reduce my medication at the end of the year again. Someday I'm going to be healthy and completely well. I mean, I'm just, it's, but you have to do that. You have to make the effort and you have to do the work to get there. You can't just, you know, like exercise is a huge part of it for me. I mean, when the COVID thing hit, I now do um, hot Pilates and Bikram yoga virtually online from yoga, help, yoga, help, <laughs> So I, 
I'm doing a lot of exercise, 45 minutes to 60 minutes of, of hot Pilates five times a week. And then Bikram yoga is an hour and a half. And I'm doing that three times a week. And that is a big, big part of me getting well. If I noticed that I've been doing better since I've been doing the hot Pilates and it's not hot, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm getting stronger and I'm getting more flexible. I mean, there's hope for everybody. There's hope, but you have to put in the effort to get there. Can I echo and build upon what Ellen said? Because her answer what, is... Yeah, can exactly. I say one more thing? The support. We have a support group hmm. and support people from all over the world. And it's such a big, wonderful thing that I can help these people with my own experience and that they help me. They support me also. It's just so wonderful that Clint provides us with this um, forum for us to to be feel safe and you know we can send each other private messages we can <laughs> we're just like we can and you talk about everybody's got different kind of arthritis on our group i mean there's lady there's a people have had hashimotos i mean there's the guy mm -hmm. uh don in brighton he has osteoarthritis so we're all in it together trying to get well Ellen touches upon two things that are so crucial that we haven't quite done justice to yet because um, the show's focused on uh, plant-based diets and so forth. And, and whilst that is absolutely crucial and a major part of this, Ellen's touched upon the sense of community support and feeling that you have a team around you that want you to get well. That can be your husband, wife, child, whatever, but you need someone who is in your corner cheering you on because uh, a study has shown that people who have someone to talk to about this condition have better outcomes than those people who do not share their, their feelings and progress or, or challenges. And also another study showed that writing down frequently how you're feeling, how you're doing, and just getting it from brain to pen or to computer, if you like, uh, is also therapeutic. So we have a support group that Ellen mentioned. And um, this ties back into your question is if someone is, you know, is in an elevated state for many, many years, and maybe also towards like the third, fourth quarter of their life, there's no doubt that that situation poses a greater challenge than someone who's younger with all of the, you know, benefits to health that come with just youth. But the support's going to be needed. And also the exercise and the exercise, you know, I used to say that this, that getting well is 60% diet and 40% exercise. But I would say that it could be as much as 50-50. It really could. If you just become so healthy through your fitness regime, I mean, if you think that you've got an Olympic competition coming up in six months' time and you set goals for yourself with your exercise and your strength building and you become obsessed about fitness and strength, you will see without any other tweak to your plate, you will see a reduction in symptoms as well. Exercise directly reduces oxidative stress through a, 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 a counterintuitive mechanism. The exercise increases oxidative stress temporarily, but then the body overcompensates like building muscle and increases glutathione and other key uh, antioxidant enzymes in the body to counter inflammation. And 
it also helps to strengthen the connective tissue around the joints that are being affected. So you're building joint integrity, which makes them harder to break down and harder to get to by the inflammatory processes. So that's, um, that's crucial in answer to that question is it's going to take more than diet. It's going to take diet. It's going to take a lot of determination and exercise, a support around you of your family, friends, or like a platform that we have. Um, and maybe have a look at, uh, look at deficiencies and look at potassium, magnesium, look at vitamin D levels. The science is super clear on the deficiencies that exist for people with RA with vitamin D that should be looked at. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot needed, but, but why, why not go down this path to the extent that is possible and, um, and achievable? So where is the group? Is it like a Facebook group or is it a private forum? How do people it's, connect? It, it, it is a, uh, an optional extra for people who are doing the Patterson program. Um, it's called rheumatoid support. Uh, so it's rheumatoidsupport.com. And I open it once a month. We open on the first day of each month and take on some new members. And I set aside my calendar so that I'm not doing a family trip or going on these days. It's easier. I'm not on a plane or traveling somewhere. And um, we welcome new members as a group and we uh, find out where they're at and they start journals and post what meds, what diet, what supplements, what stress levels they have. Um, and uh, we medications. And then we go through and look at that and say, well, this is what I would do if I was in your situation. So there's an element of coaching, there's an element of encouragement, support, and so on. So um, the other thing I should mention that's super helpful about that is that this time tomorrow, or maybe an hour early, I'll be on a call. We, we do a live monthly call with a rheumatologist. So as a group, we can ask questions of a medical professional at the highest possible level and say, hey, can we get a second opinion here? You know, like I'm you know, someone might say, like an earlier question, I'm on prednisone and the rheumatologist will say what they would suggest. And it's coming from the medical professional as well. So we all have access to that as part of the group. Do you know a plant-based rheumatologist? I used to. There was a guy called Dr. Charles Hubner who was based just south of Chicago over in Illinois. Um, he retired. And now I would have to, like everyone, go on to the plant-based doctor's sort of websites and search. And I encourage people to look for one. Right. Um, and failing that, um, you know, our rheumatologist that we're currently using, uh, I highly recommend for our monthly calls. His name is Dr. George Munoz. He's at the Oasis Institute in Miami. And he really, really supports people who are following a plant-based diet. And he knows a lot about this disease from what he calls a 360 degree approach, not just the medical approach. Nice. Kay says, I have an ankylosing spondylitis. It's basically psoriatic arthritis without the psoriasis. I do have HLA B27 and uveitis associated with the arthritis. I eat Clint and Chef AJ's diet to manage it. Excellent. And Peggy says, there are many whole food plant-based cookbooks. Cliff, you mentioned low-fat whole food plant-based diet. Do you have a cookbook recommendation? Well, I got two. I got four books, but two have no added fat. So, but do you have any other recommendations? Well, first of all, mention yours. Go ahead to Chef AJ. Oh, oh, I, oh yeah, I mentioned them. Well, my, 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 the ones that are no added fat are the secrets to ultimate weight loss and own your health. I think own your health has 
tahini in two recipes, but out of, out of 150, that would be the only fat. Okay. Okay. Well, great. Um, and then to add to that, there's one called a kitchen fairy tale. And this was actually created by one of the most or much loved Patterson program members, again, part of our community support forum. She had tremendous results, went on to then have a baby and, and then another. Um, and she created a cookbook based on recipes that were suitable for the Patterson program. So what we've got here is not only is it a lovely presented cookbook, but it's all created by someone who's been through this process and taken all of the nuances into account. So it's the ideal uh, it's the ideal cookbook if people do this program. Uh, it's called A Kitchen Fairy Tale. And her first name is Ida, I-I-D-A, and then a surname that's impossible to pronounce. <laughs> Lisa says, can people get too thin on your diet? Um, you can get too thin on any diet, I think, if, you, if you're not balancing the objectives at the same time. So if our objectives are only maximum inflammation reduction, then it is possible to get too thin because people develop this relationship and they become very well aware that the less they eat, the less inflammation they have. Now, in every study that's ever been done on every animal species, including humans, actually, no, it's the only thing that hasn't been done on humans, um, is that if you only, if you eat fewer calories, you have less disease and you live longer. Okay, so it hasn't been done on humans, but it's been done on other animals. So we know that, you know, under eating is actually a lifespan extender. And it's certainly an inflammation reducing approach, but we don't want to only focus on that if we have rheumatoid arthritis or one of these other inflammatory uh, arthritic conditions because we need muscle mass and we want to build strength around the connective tissue around our joints to protect them and give them more integrity. So we have to find a balance between skipping meals, which yeah, might be okay to do here and there, but no, we want to eat and eat well. We want to maintain our body weight and put on muscle mass. We'll naturally lose weight because Chef AJ and I have a similar approach here. And you know that Chef AJ's approach helps you shed body fat. However, that doesn't mean that you can't build muscle on this approach. And the simplest way to think of this is to aim to build muscle in parallel to the eating approach. And by aiming to build muscle, it means lifting some, some light dumbbells, doing some squats at home. And the body responds by demanding more food, withholding more of its nutrients rather than burning off energy as heat and basically sustaining your body weight. So the onus is to make sure you use resistance workouts regularly so that your muscle mass is maintained. Right. Uh, Visante wants to know, could this help somebody with fibromyalgia? Yes, yes, absolutely. As we discussed earlier, you know, these diseases come back to a microbiome imbalance. And so let's, let's just focus on that rather than the name of our discomfort. In her case, you know, muscular discomfort, pains, aches. Yes. So that, that should, uh, you know, respond well. And 
movement where possible, work on getting movement through those painful areas, starting slow and building um, with care and with consideration. Well, if I knew he had known so much about the microbiome, I would have interviewed you for the GI Health Summit. Who knew? Well, maybe next year. I know that you've got some amazing summits. So uh, yeah. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not doing as much stand-up comedy at the moment with all of the... Uh, oh, the- I, you should t- take class with us next time. We, you, well, actually, I don't know if you... Let's see. Yeah, you could because it's six It's six o'clock at night. So you could take yeah, our yeah. class. It's possible. That's right. It's oh, my possible. God. Next, I didn't know you did that. I would tell you. Well, this has yeah. been just so, so informative. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for all your great questions. Ellen, thank you so much. And, and congratulations on almost completely reversing your disease. You're doing a great job, I can tell. I mean, I know you personally and I've seen you and I wouldn't know that you really had it unless you actually pointed it out to me. Oh, thank you so much. I sure appreciate it. I'm so grateful to you forever, really. Oh, I love that. I don't know if it's a drawing, but whatever's behind you is oh, adorable. My husband's a, he's a musician and he's got all sorts of you know, art from the grandkids. It looks like a very fun room. All right. And I've been posting the website so people check out the Patterson program, especially if you have or know somebody with one of these conditions that can be helped and that needs support. Well, thanks so much, Clint. It was so great catching up with you again. Oh, thank you, Chef AJ. What you do is incredible. So much respect and uh, high regard for your work. Thank you for putting all this information out there. You're so welcome. And thank you guys for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow at the regular time, 11 a.m., when I will be interviewing Dr. Dana Simpler. She is a whole food plant-based physician in Maryland that actually has been working this whole time during COVID. And she's going to be talking about that and what it's like and what you can do to make yourself as bulletproof as possible. Thanks again, Ellen and Clint. Good night. Okay. Bye. Bye.